0: Chapter 15 of Four Mothers at Chautauqua by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Almost. Eureka made another effort later. Was Burnham going to the morning service? Of course he was. No one would fail to hear the bishop. Certainly the bishop was to preach that day. Didn't he know that it was the baccalaureate sermon? Why, for the graduating class, of course, the Shakespeare class. He to talk about being a loyal Chautauquan and not know that. "'They say it has a very large representation here. Don't you think it would be a good idea for us to join the class of 1916? It is forming now. Why, it is a four years' reading course. Where have your eyes and ears been that they haven't had so much knowledge drilled into them? Doesn't it seem a dreadfully long way to look forward? 1916—' It seems as though one would feel so old by that time. But the reading circle takes my fancy. Systematic reading is always so much better than the haphazard way. Don't you think so? The books are wonderfully well chosen. I have been looking them up. What do you think about it? What Burnham Roberts thought was, I wonder if Hazel likes systematic reading and could be induced to join a circle aloud he said that he had not given the matter any thought and had no opinion to express this was disappointing the burnham roberts that eureka knew would have been likely to reply that he was ready to read the chautauqua books or any other books that chanced to suit her fancy However, he went with her to the amphitheatre, and watched the marching in of the multitude that represented the class circles of the years gone by, as well as the very large representation of the Shakespeare class, without making any cynical remarks. In truth, the occasion left no room for cynicism. Eureka was at first enthusiastic, then, as the long procession in college gown and cap filed down the central aisle, keeping step to the roll of the great organ, IN SPITE OF HER BELIEF THAT PEOPLE COULD CONTROL ALL OUTWARD SIGN OF EMOTION IF THEY CHOSE, HER EYES SUDDENLY FILLED WITH TEARS. IT WAS ALSO VIVID A REMINDER OF COLLEGE DAYS, AND OF THE COMMENCEMENT WEEK ABOUT WHICH SHE HAD DREAMED AND PLANNED, AND OF WHICH SHE HAD FAILED. THERE MUST BE MANY GIRLS, YES, AND WOMEN AND MEN, SCATTERED OVER THE EARTH, WHO HAD WANTED THE COLLEGE OUTLOOK, AND STRIVEN FOR IT PERHAPS, EVEN AS SHE HAD DONE, AND FAILED. It was grand in the bishop to have conceived this plan by which already multitudes must have been inspired to seek and secure higher education. But it was grander still to have opened it to the multitudes upon whom the daily cares of life and the daily necessity for toil pressed so steadily that no regular college course was possible for them. Yet here in this carefully superintended reading circle they could have a real outlook upon it all it was glorious in him to think of it, to push it in spite of all the obstacles he must have encountered, in spite of the criticism and good-natured raillery that he must have had to endure. That form of discouragement was so much harder to bear than the sneering kind. For her at least, and having had already her share of the ways in which even well-meaning people can discourage new enterprises that they did not originate, the girl made sure that the bishop had lived through many of them. She resolved to set in motion plans for a select Chautauqua circle among her friends as soon as she reached home. Even if Burnham decided to spend the winter in New York, and she did not believe he would, he could easily run down one evening in a week for the circle. He would like that. It would be a definite time in which she would be sure to be at home. All this, unless he should want— but she would not think about that. There would be time enough for such plans. She was sure she did not want to be married yet, not for several years, perhaps. What was the need for haste? But a Chautauqua reading-circle she would surely join without delay. So would Burnham Roberts. Almost at the same moment he settled that he would get up one in New York early in the fall, composed of people who suited him. He was not clear as to how many members it should have, nor who all of them should be, but the name of one would be Hazel Harris. The sermon came to Eureka as a surprise. She knew the bishop well, by reputation. She had read his addresses, she had heard him speak informally several times. She knew that he was particularly happy in his use of the English language. She knew that he was capable of a very scholarly effort." She expected that an address to a literary and scientific circle would be profound and learned in the highest degree. She even fancied she could select the text, and had amused herself as she waited in one of the small parlors for Burnham, by taking up the Bible and running over some of the majestic passages of Isaiah. "'I'm picking out the bishop's text,' she said to Erskine Burnham, who passed through the room and glanced inquiringly in her direction." how would this do? And she read it well. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations, for Jehovah of hosts hath purposed, and who shall annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Wouldn't that give him scope for his powers of oratory? When, an hour later, the bishop announced his text, Erskine looked over at Eureka and smiled. These were the words. And the Lord added to them day by day those that were being saved. What chance was here for masterly argument or brilliant display of oratory? Eureka was disappointed. When a man was capable of great things, why should he choose small ones? Wait, was this small? The bishop's singularly incisive voice made every word reach her distinctly, far away as she was among almost the outermost seats of the great amphitheatre. Yet he was already leaning over the desk and talking in familiar tone as friend talks with friend, but what tremendous things he was saying! The message of the morning is God's word to you now and here. Will you be added this day to those who are being saved? The story of Pentecost is the story of the sunrise of a new day in the world's history. The tongue of fire perpetuated the ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God as light and energy in the souls of men. A commonplace text! Eureka had mentally called it that. She never would again. Salvation, as the preacher obliged her to look at it and think about it, was a wonderful thing. Salvation, said the speaker personal and social national and racial reaches out beyond the planet we live on and takes an interest in suns and stars and spheres and possible occupants of visible but as yet by us unexplored worlds where all that is basest among us has been outlived or is unknown and all that we dream at our best is beautifully and blessedly real and celestial celestial and yet there commonplace and familiar, never even challenged or doubted, because it is an essential feature of the heavenly civilization. Oh, for a glimpse of it! Oh, for a taste of it! We may have both. If by faith we look for it, if by love we taste, and if by will we grasp, we may become, each of us, an integral part of that celestial civilization, here and now. Today look up and see— TODAY REACH OUT AND GRASP, TODAY REMEMBER CHRIST AND REST. WAS THERE ANY USE IN TRYING TO CALL SUCH THOUGHTS, SUCH SCHEMES, SUCH POSSIBILITIES, COMMONPLACE? OH, FOR A GLIMPSE OF IT! THAT, Eureka KNEW, HAD BEEN HER INSTINCTIVE MENTAL EXCLAMATION, AS THE SPEAKER, WITH A FEW BOLD STROKES, MADE THAT OTHER WORLD GLOW BEFORE HER, THE WORLD WHERE HER FATHER LIVED his next sentence had fairly stunned her. We may have it here and now. Her mind went off into a study of that tremendous statement. Theoretically she believed it. Wait, did she? Why, of course, she was no infidel. She had been carefully taught. The basic truths of theology were as A.B.C. to her. Besides, there was father. Of course it was true. Well, then, was she a fool?' THIS WAS WHERE HER LOGIC LED HER. WHEN SHE CAME BACK FROM HER MENTAL EXERCISE, THE BISHOP WAS SPEAKING DIRECTLY TO THE CLASS. WHAT WAS THAT HE WAS SAYING ABOUT LOVE? SELF-LOVE IS ONE THING, AND SELFISHNESS IS QUITE ANOTHER. SELF-LOVE OF THE TRUE TYPE REQUIRES SELF-KNOWLEDGE. WHAT ARE WE LIVING FOR? IS IT FOR BODILY EASE, AND COMFORT, AND SELF-ENJOYMENT, AND RECOGNITION, AND TRIBUTES OF PRAISE? Really, what are you living for? The development of a wholesome, wide-reaching civilization, or merely success for your own narrow little self? You need to be saved. Selfishness accepted and never resisted is hell. Involuntarily Eureka glanced at her companion. Burnham's face was grave, even a trifle anxious. Was he listening? Did he feel himself in any sense described? Frankly, she believed him to be one of the most selfish persons she had ever known. All his life, so far as she had known it, he had thought about, planned for, and indulged himself. Could he help feeling somewhat the force of the bishop's awful words, selfishness accepted and never resisted, as hell? Then, almost as though an audible voice had asked, came the question, What about Eureka Harrison? "'I?' said Eureka's inner self, as though answering a questioner. "'I gave up everything for others. Why am I not a college girl myself, pray?' "'That is true you made one great sacrifice for your mother, but haven't you been making her unhappy in a hundred petty ways ever since? In thousands of trifles that make up your life, have you not in a sense taken revenge for the very great sacrifice you made?' This was plain language.' Eureka had never before allowed herself to speak such plain words to herself. Was the accusation in any sense true? But she must listen again. The bishop was speaking to this Shakespeare class about its motto, To thine own self be true. It is an earnest word, he was saying, a word of wisdom. One need not be a Shakespeare in order to say it, to hear it, to adopt it, and to obey it. IT IS A LAW FOR EVERY SPHERE IN LIFE, FROM THE HUMBLEST MINER IN THE LOWEST, NARROWEST LEVELS UNDERGROUND, TO THE ASTRONOMER WHO MOUNTS HIS OBSERVATORY AT NIGHT FOR ROYAL CONVERSE WITH THE REMOTEST STARS OF SPACE. AND TO BE AT YOUR BEST. READ SHAKESPEARE? OH, YES, BUT FOLLOW CHRIST. HIS WORDS ARE FULL OF LIGHT, AND THEY BURN AND GLOW WITH LOVE, AND HE IS NEAR US, HE IS TODAY WHAT HE WAS ON EARTH. STUDY HIS WORDS AND WORKS AND WAYS. HOW BEAUTIFUL IT WOULD BE IF EVERY ONE IN THIS CLASS WOULD TODAY REPEAT IN HIS UTMOST SOUL THIS SOLEMN PLEDGE. WITNESS YE MEN AND ANGELS NOW, BEFORE THE LORD WE SPEAK, TO HIM WE MAKE OUR SOLEMN VOW, A VOW WE DARE NOT BREAK, THAT LONG AS LIFE ITSELF SHALL LAST, OURSELVES TO CHRIST WE YIELD nor from his cause will we depart, or ever quit the field. The solemnity of the words was doubly emphasized by the bishop's rendering. Their effect on Eureka, the effect of the entire service, indeed, was utterly unlike what she had expected. Accustomed all her life to religious services, familiar as she was with the very hymn that had just been repeated, she had never thought of such a thing as making its words personal. Ourselves to Christ we yield. How often in the choir of her father's church she had sung that line without even noticing its solemn meaning. Why should it take such hold upon her now? For the second time, the voice of a man to whom she had never spoken, who did not know of her existence, had reached her conscience and pressed upon her the claims of Jesus Christ. What if she should heed? suppose she should decide to say then and there to god that long as life itself shall last myself to christ i yield as long as life itself that meant forever and forever and forever there was no end to life if she should would it make a difference at once and forever would it make a difference that burnham roberts would like she was beginning to try to recognize his claim upon her his right to be always considered. She glanced up at him almost timidly, as, the brief after-service concluded, they joined the throngs who were surging up the aisles, chattering many of them like magpies, unmindful of the fact that the soul of the great organ was at that moment a throb with exquisite harmonies intended for their ears. Unmindful also of the fact that they had been called to stand face to face with a question so momentous that it concerned all their future for both worlds. Burnham's face was grave enough, and he made no attempt to add to the ceaseless chattering going on all about them. Had he felt the power of the question that was still throbbing in her consciousness, Will you be added this day to those who are being saved? The unanswered question. Would Burnham like to have her answer yes? Would he join her in the vow that they dare not break? If he had but understood it, that moment was even more solemn for him than for the girl at his side. It was his opportunity. He had never been able to influence Eureka very much in any line, but she was nearer to the most important decision in life that day than she had ever been before, and it happened that a word from him would have turned the scale but he did not speak it. He was silent, more silent than she had ever known him to be, when they were alone together. Nor did his face encourage conversation. It was almost moody. His thoughts were busy, but it was not the morning service nor the momentous question that held him. It was simply, "'What can have become of that girl? How shall I manage to find out? How shall I shape things so that I can see her again?' Eureka gave over trying to draw him into conversation. His moody absent air irritated her. He seemed almost not to notice what she said. If he wanted to be silent and sullen, let him. She was in no mood to help him. She needed to be helped instead. Only, there was nobody to help her. Oh, well, never mind. She made a strong effort to throw off the thoughts that oppressed her. She joined some of the younger and gayer members of their group, at the next corner, and chatted and laughed with them merrily. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that were heard, lest haply we drift away from them. Eureka simply drifted away. End of chapter 15